There's a cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a cold of silence and it can't go on. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on August the 12th, 2013. I always suggest the newcomers make really good use of the website CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. There's lots and lots of audios for free download uh, of the talks I've given over the years on radio. And I go through into this system, born into the system that's all pervasive and how you're taught to believe it's all quite natural and normal, simply because it's there when you're born. In fact, your parents think so too, and the grandparents did so as well. And you're living through a system, actually planned system where the future is always planned. And all the big events that will happen in your lifetime were planned long ago, many of them, in fact, before you're born. And uh, that's how perfect this system is. And the big foundations that formed at the beginning of the 20th century as uh, tax-free philanthropic organizations um, worth trillions of dollars uh, are the ones that really are, are called the parallel government. They call that themselves. Their idea was to bypass democracy by uh, basically hiring and creating non-governmental organizations, funding them awfully well, full-time salaries at the top, of course, and pension schemes and all the rest of it. And they would lobby governments across the world, all on course with the same agenda, because uh, it all goes through the United Nations, of course. And the United Nations was set up by itself by uh, one of the biggest uh, non-governmental organizations or foundations out there, which is a royal issue for international affairs private organization and its American counterpart, the CFR. If you don't understand these basically basic truths, and you can dig into it yourselves, because Carl Quigley, the professor Carl Quigley, was a historian for this group, and he said they've been behind all the wars in the 20th century, all the major wars. Uh, They're in the business of taking over the world's resources, right down to water and food, and everything that's needed to supply companies with metals, etc., and, uh, and they've got big, big plans for the future. So you're, you're going through someone else's agenda. And these boys also put their own people in at the top of all governments as well, have done for a 100 years now. And that's also what Quigley said. It doesn't matter if it's left wing or right wing. That's just a game for the public, of course, because the, the guy at the top always goes along with the same agenda the guy that, that uh, just left was going through too, because it's, it's decided from the top and not from government, but the ones above government, the ones that control it. So help yourself to the website. Member two, you can get transcripts of all the talks I've given for print-up as well. And English and all the sites that are listed there at cuttingthroughmedias.com. And if you go into Alan Watts Sentient, sentinel.eu, you can get transcripts for other languages. And also remember, too, you bring me to you. I don't bring on advertisers as guests. I could, I could really uh, get a lot of advertisers on board to back me up and pay me, in fact, and I'd be sitting pretty, but I won't do that. I rely upon the people to, to back me up by buying the books and discs, hopefully, or donating at cuttingthroughmatrix.com. And from the U.S. to Canada, remember, you can always buy the books, which goes through the whole art of conning people, mass, vast amounts of people, very ancient arts, actually. 
uh, from early times. I go through it through that up to the present time. Uh, the arts have changed, of course, as you get more and more sciences on board with them, like neuroscience and behaviorism and so on. So to buy them from the U.S. to Canada, you can still use personal checks or international postal money orders from the post office, or you can send cash or use PayPal. And across the world, Western Union MoneyGram and PayPal. And straight donations are seriously welcome as you go through the planned inflation, which is meant to bring you into austerity as the dollar is worth less and less every week, basically. And the, the, the head of the, the Federal Reserve has already said that quite a few times, that he's sticking on this plan of uh, inflation basically for the next few years. So by the time they're finished, the purchasing power of the dollar will be half of what, of what it was when it started, of course. And that's the idea of inflation, too. It's all a big racket, to be, be honest with you. The whole money scheme is a racket, and that's why they won't change it. These bankers plunder you at least twice a century, and no one will change it. The same bankers stay on. And they do it again and again, or their children that come in after them do it instead. So this is traditional, you see, it's a traditional. You're living in their system. They designed the system you're presently in. The big boys at the top and the private foundations, remember, the biggest foundations of all were set up by the, the biggest private bankers on the planet, guys who lent to nations. And, uh, and still the same today, by the way, at the very top, because the Royal Institute for International Affairs has an inner party and an outer party. And the inner party are all members, lifelong members of All Souls College, actually. And that's where they have their big, big meetings to decide uh, the next tactic in their big war on the world, is to take it all over, of course. And they have thousands of think tanks working full-time on every aspect of social policy and society and how to change society, bend it this way, that way, whatever, including all the cultural changes they bring in too, because they also heavily sponsor the culture industry. You cannot change the world and all countries in it unless you own the culture industries in every country. And believe you me, culture doesn't change by itself. It's done on purpose by those who know where they want it to go. And that means the ideas that you think are your own are not yours after all. It's all part of someone else's agenda to suit their own agenda. And even things you feel adamant about, you have to re-question them. And who put this into your head? What are the, who benefits? What are the consequences of it? And as I say, who benefits at the end? That generally tells you what's going on. Because the big boys have left nothing to chance. And it's far better to get the public to be on board with all their agendas than it is to, to fight them or simply decree laws through when people don't want those particular laws. So they've been doing this for a long time. Uh, the sexual re- revolutions, all the revolutions you've had in culture since about the 50s onwards were all done and, and promoted and financed by these big boys at the top who were often mistaken for communists. Many of them actually were. They came in from the far eastern countries. And, uh, and the old Soviet bloc countries uh, during that Soviet period, and they came professors in universities to teach what was called, a new term, they called it liberalism. And that's what Khrushchev said when he came over to the U.S. for a visit. We don't call communists communists in, in the U.S., we call them liberals. And, of course, ultra-liberalism has been pushed for a long time. But all the, the revolutions, which are still ongoing, by the way, there's more revolutions still to go yet, are still happening, and uh, that's why the biggest things across the world right now in diplomacy is not lending to governments and so on. It comes, any lending you do comes with a massive list of things that that, that recipient must go along with. 
and at the top of the tree they have gender equality uh, and, and meaning, you know, for, for LGBT and all the rest of it to, to have uh, full rights and special rights actually. Special rights because they, they don't stop it being equal. They want to really show it all in public as part of exhibitionism as well. But all this was decided a long time ago. If you go into the writings of Theo Adorno and Horkheimer, the guys who worked with them too at the Frankfurt School, and you'll find out they went through this meticulously, how to destroy all that was in the old cultures of the West, and they may completely destroy them altogether, right down to marriage partners and so on. And even bring in uh, necrophilia at the end. This is then we'll know we've, we've achieved our goal. So these people are deadly serious, and uh, people like the Frankfurt School, who worked for them, and the Macy Group, etc., and many others were given, uh, after World War II, the right to create the future culture for the West. That's a hard thing to, to understand, that, but yet they, they were given the right by the President of the United States to, to promote the particular cultural changes. And during the Rees Commission, too, we find that Norman Dodd and other ones who, who attended that, that committee, uh, commission into finding out why it seemed to be communist signs that, that the big foundations were backing. So the richest guys in the world were backing what it seemed to be communist signs. Made no sense to them until one of them at the Ford Foundation told them that they take their orders directly from the White House. And so there you go. It's a big, big plan, folks. We're almost there, of course, as we get into degeneracy. And with degeneracy comes the collapse of nations. And with the collapse of nations, it's easy to amalgamate them into big solid trading blocks, like Europe has already gone that way. And, and then you're ready for a world government, of course. Back with more after this. Hi, folks. We're back, cutting through the matrix, talking about the big system. That's all there is, really, is the big system, isn't it? And it's worldwide. And we're in a global agenda uh, to amalgamate nations together. And, of course, the Royal Institute for International Affairs, the private club, of course, that set up all of this, this, this whole century, and this century we're now to, to the 20th century, 21st century, um, you, you find that they also set up the Bank for International Settlements, the International Monetary Fund, and they also set up the World Bank as well. So these, and the United Nations. So these guys literally, which were the biggest bankers in the world, remember, these guys set up the whole darn system that we take for granted today. And all these private organizations, all the private banks, etc., run the world and the trading and everything else in it too. And they said that towards the end, they would use the clout, the, the power of, uh, of their money. Uh, to, to finalize all the changes in the world, force countries into amalgamations, etc., into new constitutions, and so on, and so on, and so on, to do with the United Nations and various treaties. Uh, and we're, we're living through this very scheme right today. As I say, too, remember, too, the same CFR, the same organization in America, has, has a, got stacks of bureaucrats working with them who are all members of the CFR, too, and, and they're working in the U.S. governments and federal levels and local levels and everything else. And, and these guys, bureaucrats, are awfully important because we don't elect any of them. And they know what's going on. See, in Britain and elsewhere, they all know their job. They're there for life. 
and they get uh, promotions for getting their big agendas through for the for the private clubs they belong to. Uh, the guys who get appointed over them as politicians, are, they just play musical chairs. They're dependent on the bureaucrats of each department to supply them with their speeches and so on, because they don't, they don't have a clue what they're actually doing, the politicians. Now, this is an article here, and it really is pertinent in any country. I've read the same articles in Britain and different countries of Europe over many years. But it says, when bad government policy leads to bad results, the government manipulates the data instead of changing policy. That's standard, you see. So bad government policy has created a years-long unemployment problem, but instead of fixing the problem, the government is trying to paper over it. We've known for a long time that the Bureau of Labor Statistics uh, fudges the numbers to make unemployment look lower than it really is. BLS has admitted that its adjustments skew on unemployment data during recessions. Indeed, the former head of the BLS recently said BLS statistics are BS, you know, bothersome stuff, and that unemployment is much higher than the government is letting on. That, 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 this article actually fits every country in first world countries. The Bureau of Economic Analysis is revising 84 years of economic history right now, which will make the economy magically look better. Everything's appearance, isn't it? Perception. And the US and British governments encouraged interest rate manipulation and central banks have been directly manipulating interest rates for hundreds of years. Yeah, there's nothing new about it. And government agencies have helped banks manipulate the commodities prices for decades and government twisted statistics and intentionally lied when it pretended that the banks it was bailing out were solvent. Governments lie to you all the time, folks. It's a private club, really, you see. The government has long ignored energy and food prices when reporting on inflation. Fraud is Wall Street's business model, which is unfortunately being supported by the government. The government helped cover up the crimes of the big banks, used claims of national security to keep everything in the dark, and changed basic rules and definitions to allow the game to continue. And all the links to do with this, uh, these different parts I'm, I'm talking about here, I'll put up, remember, at cuttingthroughmatrix.com at the end of the, this broadcast. It says it's not only a matter of covering up fraud that's already happened, the government also created an environment which greatly encouraged fraud. Here are a few examples of the of potential examples. It says the SEC has shredded financial documents for decades to help cover up financial shenanigans. I'll, I'll give the links for these two. The government-sponsored ratings agencies committed massive fraud, and I'll put links up for that too. The Treasury Department allowed banks to cook their books. I'll put those links up as well. Business Week wrote on May the 23rd, 2006, President George W. Bush has bestowed on his intelligence czar, John Negroponte, broad authority in the name of national security to excuse publicly traded companies from their usual accounting and securities disclosure obligations. Isn't that a handy thing to get for, for guys like that? Regulators knew and of and allowed the use of debt-hiding accountancy tricks by the big banks. Tim Geithner was complicit in Lehman's accounting fraud and pushed to pay AIG's CDS counterparties at full value and then to keep the deal secret. And as Robert Reich notes, Geithner was very much in the centre of the action regarding the secret bailout of Bear Stearns without congressional approval. William Black points out Mr. Geithner, as president of the Federal Reserve Bank of New York since October 2003, was one of those senior regulators who failed to take any effective regulatory action to prevent the crisis, but instead covered up its depth. The former chief accountant for the SEC says that Bernanke and Paulson broke the law and should be prosecuted. 
Freddie and Fannie Mae helped to create the epidemic of mortgage fraud. Of course, they all did, actually. The government knew about mortgage fraud a long time ago. For example, the FBI warned of an epidemic of mortgage fraud in 2004. However, the FBI, the Department of Justice, and other government agencies then stood down and did nothing. And I'll put the links up about that too, going back to that era when they were warned about it. For example, the Federal Reserve turned its cheek and allowed massive fraud, and the SEC has repeatedly ignored accounting fraud. Indeed, Alan Greenspan took the position that fraud could never happen. <laughs> he should have been in the comedy, that guy. Bernanke might have broken the law by letting unemployment rise in order to keep inflation low. Paulson and Bernanke falsely stated that big banks receiving TARP money were healthy when they were not. Arguably, both the Bush and Biden administrations broke the law by refusing to close insolvent banks. Congress may have covered up illegal tax breaks for the big banks. Of course, deregulation by Larry Summers, Robert Rubin, Phil Graham, and many other high-level politicians and regulators also helped to grease the skids for fraud. Economist J, uh, James K. Galbraith wrote in an introduction to his father, John Kenneth Galbraith's definitive study of the Great Depression, the Great Crash of 1929. He says, the main relevance of the Great Crash 1929 to the Great Crisis of 2008 is surely here. In both cases, the government knew what it should do. Both times it declined to do it. In the summer of 1929, a few stern words from on high arise in the discount rate, a tough investigation to the pyramid schemes of the day, and the house of cards on Wall Street would have tumbled before its fall, destroyed the whole economy. In 2004, the FBI warned publicly of an epidemic of mortgage fraud, but the government did nothing, and less than nothing, delivering instead low interest rates, deregulation, and clear signals that laws should not be enforced. The signals were not subtle. On one occasion, the director of the Office of Thrift Supervision came up to conference with copies of the Federal Register and a chainsaw. There followed every manner of scheme to fleece the unsuspecting. This was fraud perpetuated in the first instance by the government on the population and by the rich on the poor. And it goes on and on and on. But the fact is, see, you're living in, in the banker system. I'm not talking about the little banks in the corner. I'm talking about the big boys at the top. They set up the system a long time ago, and they created this institution, uh, Royal Institute for International Affairs, Council on Foreign Relations, which now uh, has departments across the whole world, and they advise every government on the same policies. They drafted up the, the European Amalgamation. They drafted up the NAFTA agreements for integration of Canada, the US, Mexico, and other Latin American countries. That came out on television here. So there's private organizations running the whole show and they're owned and controlled at the top by the private banks, the big ones. So what are you going to do about it? It's their system. That's why nothing happens, folks. That's why nothing changes. They won't change it. It's their system. Also, an article to do with uh, vaccine prices. It says it increased 2.700% in the last decade. Surveys by Medicine San Francisco Frontiers shows that the price to immunize children was once uh, $1.37 USD and has now risen to 38.80 USD. That's to make sure they're all dumb and stupid and they get awfully sick and they can use their pharmacological medicines to try and cope for the rest of whatever lives we've got left. Back with more after this. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. 
because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. We're back cutting through the matrix, and I've talked about Jack Satali before, who who basically has written two books about some countries, but the U.S. especially, and to do with the mass immigration being part of the free trade deal. Now, that's true enough because all free trade deals that are being signed right now, the Trans-Pacific Partnership and all the rest of it, allows the free uh, uh, movement of goods and labor across all national boundaries. And Britain went through all that years ago, so did France and Germany and the rest of the countries, when they signed uh, uh, the initial so-called free trade agreements. Uh, just for nice trading stuff. And then now they've got a European Parliament hanging over them, a massive structure, new Soviet. But the US has to go the same way too. And it says that though Che crossing near the San Diego border last Monday, about 200 people coming from Mexico gained entry to the US, all using the same key phrase. They claimed they had a credible fear of drug cartels. Most of them can't speak English. But they can parrot this off. You see, I have a credible fear of drug cartels. So, so many were doing it that they closed down the processing center and moved the overflow by vans to another station. And they're being told if they come across the border, when they come to the border and they say certain words, they'll be allowed into the country. And it says the apparent new shift in tactics to enter the U.S. comes at a time when the Associated Press is reporting a spike in the number of asylum requests in the past few years. According to draft testimony for USCIS, Associate Director Joseph Langlois, that was to be submitted for a congressional hearing on asylum reports last month, USCIS received more than 19,119 asylum requests through the end of May. The agency anticipates more than 28,600 by the end of the fiscal year. According to testimony during the 2009 budget year, the agency received just 5,369 such requests. The new phenomenon is out of all proportion, even with the spike. To put the numbers in perspective, with the 200 people making asylum requests on one day at one border crossing, 200 people a day equals 73,000 people a year, close to three times the total number received all year at all boarding crossings. And it says that uh, to make our system even more ridiculous than it's been in the past, there are no detention facilities for families, so the families would have to be split up. We don't want to split them up, so we end up releasing people out into the community on bond or on bail. None of this says it's a huge loophole. And says the goal, however, may be, may be to overwhelm the system. The apparent new tactic comes in the heels of widely publicized activism by a group called the Dream Nine, who also used the claim of asylum to gain re-entry to the country. As leftist organizations Color Lines reported last week, all nine of the activists who have now established credible fear have stepped towards an asylum hearing. Supporters are now hoping that Dream 9 will be eligible for parole, which will allow them to return to the United States until their asylum hearing uh, dates. The connection between Dream 9 and the tactic of asylum was made by Spanish-language news source La Opinion. They reported translation by Google Translation in an article entitled, and it gives you in English, The Asylum Becomes a Dream. Following the release of the nine Dreamers prisoners in Arizona, after a protest at the borders, others have taken the path of asylum as a way to solve their deportation. And it goes on and on. But anyway, this is happening across the world too, because certain phrases are supposed to get you into countries. If you're scared of the government, they're persecuting you, whatever, you're supposed to get instant uh, recognition and status as a landed immigrant. Uh, They're even using dodges today when they pretend that the two guys are coming and say they're gay. 
And then once they're in, of course, they've got landed status, they can go back to being straight because they have that right to do that, right? Isn't that right? So you, you get all these dodges now to get across uh, borders and to get into countries. And um, it's just going to get worse and worse because that's agenda, folks. That is agenda. Uh, and even Jack Satali uh, and also the, the Department of Defense in Britain and for NATO. They put out their 90-page report a few years back. It's in its uh, sections of uh, archive section at cuttingthroughmedias.com. Uh, they went through the process for America too, where they said that eventually America is destined to become Spanish-speaking. That's just the agenda, simple as that. And eventually they'll break up America into different parts. This is from the Department of Defense, remember. And some cities will 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 uh, they'll, they'll, they'll crowd the folk into the cities under Agenda 21. And they'll go down the tubes and people will die off and there'll be all kinds of things happening. But they're going to have these big private areas for special other cities. And uh, they actually named the cities that they'll, uh, they'll come up through high check and so on. And the ones that will fall down and just go into obscurity as they break up the country. It's worthwhile reading it too and going to the archive section, as I say, cutting through the com. Well worth looking at. Also, scientists warned face recognition searches pose an ominous privacy risk. Well, the whole, the whole darn system, there's no privacy with any electronic media these days. It's impossible to have it. It was designed to be this way. Before they even gave it to us, all this was discussed. You understand? The computer-based facial recognition will pose serious threat to people's privacy in the near future. According to a researcher at Carnegie Mellon University, Alejandro Acquisti, who undertook the work with partial funding from the U.S. Army, made the comments after conducting experiments using nothing more than a webcam-enabled PC and access to Facebook. As he's presenting the results at the Black Hat Computer Security Conference in Las Vegas, Acquisti said, facial visual searches may become as common as today's text-based searches. In collaboration with fellow researchers Ralph Gross and Fred Stutzman, the team set up a computer, web uh, uh, cam, and facial recognition software at the university, Using willing participants, the team asked random participants to peer in the camera and have their faces scanned. Using a database of 5,000 publicly available student Facebook profile uh, pictures, the recognition software was able to correctly guess the face in 31% of cases, most in under three seconds. Well, the government ones are pretty well accurate. That's pretty well 100%, folks. And now, of course, they're getting folk to use it in their credit cards and so on in different countries and their cashless systems. And they're all for it. This is so convenient. You know, it's okay. People, most folk don't care, folks. See, it's true enough that a lot of folk are happy in a socialist society where you can be a perpetual child. It takes a lot of responsibility off you because you have all these special folk from special wombs above you deal with all the big problems, you see, and they just tell you to go and play, get your paycheck and go and play. And lots of folk like that. They like the illusion, too, that, that, that if they get hit hard times, a welfare system is going to pick them up and take care of them. They have all these safety nets, they think, until they really need them. They think they're really marvelous, because they keep reading about it all the time. So lots of folk like socialism. And, and the trick, too, is to, to keep pushing that to make you want it all the more. The socialistic system, just be a perpetual child. The Peter Pan syndrome. Also, Obama quietly signs a firearm and ammunition kill switch order. 
A Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms and Explosives, uh, ATF final rule published Tuesday in the Federal Register and a news release as well. I'll put these links to all tonight. Issued last Friday by the Department of Health and Human Services by the Department of Homeland Security as well, are recent developments ignored by the mainstream media, even though Vice President Joe Biden announced last week that the administration would be using executive orders to advance the gun control's goals following a Senate battle that could not muster the votes to do so legislatively. And it says President Obama has sidestepped Congress by implementing portions of the United Nations Small Arms Trade Treaty through an executive order which can be used to ban the import of all firearms, ammunition and related supplies and accessories. It says, well, patriots across the nation rejoiced when the U.S. Congress rejected flat in its face an attempt to force the United States into the U.N. Small Arms Treaty just weeks later. A more sinister ulterior motive has been revealed. Today, President Obama by, bypassed Congress and signed an executive which gives the federal government a power to completely ban the importation of firearms, ammunition, and even parts and accessories related to firearms. While the United Nations Small Arms Treaty would have prevented the United States from both importing and exporting weapons, Obama has effectively signed on to the treaty with his new executive order while allowing the U.S. to still export weapons of death to covertly funded uh, clandestine operations in overseas nations where it seeks to further its imperialistic agenda. At the same time, with nearly every other nation in the world signing on to the United Nations Small Arms Treaty, other nations are now banned from doing the same, which further leverages the United States' power of shotgun diplomacy in nations that refuse to be puppets for the globalist elites and that control America. And America is controlled. Every country is now in the West. The West, we're all under the same organization, private organizations run our countries. Also, the NSA is turning the Internet into a total surveillance system. Well, it was designed, the Internet was designed to go this way. And I really mean that. So the NSA is searching the content of virtually every email that comes in or goes out of the U.S. without a warrant. They're not, because they're not using warrants for all that. Another burst of sunlight permeated the National Security Agency's black box of domestic surveillance last week. According to the New York Times, the NSA is searching the content of virtually every email that comes in or goes out of the United States without the warrants. To accomplish this uh, astonishing invasion of privacy, the NSA report is making a copy of nearly every international email. It then searches that clone data, keeping all of the emails contained, containing certain keywords and deleting the rest, all in a matter of seconds. If you emailed a friend, family member, or colleague overseas today, or if from abroad you emailed someone in the U.S., chances are that the NSA made a copy of that email and searched it for suspicious information. Isn't that something, folks, eh? Back with more after this. Hi, folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix. And this article is, is pretty good, too. It's from the Rutherford Institute, but it says, despite the, the, the steady hue and cry by government agencies about the need for more police, more sophisticated weaponry, and the difficulties of preserving the peace and maintaining security in a modern age, the reality is far different. Indeed, violent crime in America has been on a steady decline, and if current trends continue, Americans will finish the year 2013 experiencing the lowest murder rate in over a century. 
Despite this clear referendum and the fact that communities would be better served by smaller, demilitarized police forces, police agencies throughout the country are dramatically increasing in size and scope. Some of the nation's largest cities boast uh, police forces the size of small armies. New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg actually likes to brag that the NYPD is his personal army. For example, the Los Angeles Police Department has reached a total of 10,000 officers. It takes place alongside other cities boasting increasingly large police forces, including New York's 36,000 officers and Chicago with 13,400. When considered in terms of cops per square mile, Los Angeles assigns a whopping 469 officers per square mile, followed by New York with 303 officers per square mile and Chicago with 227 cops per square mile. Of course, such heavy police presence comes at a price. Los Angeles spends over $2 billion a year on the police force, which is a 36% increase within the last eight years. The LAPD currently consumes over 55% of Los Angeles' discretionary budget, a 9% increase over the past nine years. Meanwhile, street repair and maintenance spending has declined by 36%. And in 2011, one-fifth of the city's fire stations lost units, increasing response times for 9-11 medical emergencies. For those who want to credit hefty police forces for declining crime rates, the data just doesn't show a direct correlation. In fact, many cities across the country actually saw decreases in crime rates during the 1990s in the wake of increasing prison sentences and the waning crack cocaine epidemic. Cities such as Seattle and Dallas actually cut their police forces during this time and still saw crime rates drop. And so I'll put this article up tonight. And this goes into another one, too, because there's a reason for all this increasing this in, 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 internal military. It's really an internal military you have for the, the crashes that are still to come as you go into real austerity, folks. You haven't seen it yet. You haven't seen it yet. Because uh, that's the big plan. But it says, um, AP impacts, little restraint in military giveaways. And now the stuff that they can't sell off to other countries or having revolutions or, or, or give, give to Al-Qaeda and so on, the U.S. military gives back to the U.S. And it says here that um, small-town police departments across the country have been gobbling up tons of equipment discarded by downsizing the military. From bicycles, bedsheets, bowling pins, French horns, dog collars, and even a colonoscopy machine, regardless of where the items are needed or will ever be used. They just give them by the tons to different police stations. The tiny farming community of Morvan, Georgia, the police chief has grabbed three boats, scuba gear, rescue rafts, and a couple of dozen life preservers. The town's deepest body of water, which is an, an, an ankle-deep creek. <laughs> so they can use it all now, I guess. An Associated Press investigation of the Defense Department's program, originally aimed at helping local law enforcement fight terrorism and drug trafficking, found that a disproportionate share of the $4.2 billion worth of property distributed since 1990 has been obtained by police departments and sheriff's offices in rural areas with few officers and little crime. The National Giveaway Program operates with scant oversight and the surplus military gear often sits in storage. Using a series of public record requests, the AP obtained thousands of pages of emails and other documents related to the program locally and nationally. The documents, along with interviews uh, from uh, participants and regulators, reveal that staffing shortages and budget constraints have made it difficult for federal and state program officials to keep track of all the property and to prevent police forces from obtaining excessive amounts of used military equipment and other Defense Department transferred property. The program officials have to trust recipients to follow the rules and take only what they can utilise. Requests for equipment are reviewed, but the processes haven't stopped 
uh, overly aggressive departments from grabbing property that could be better used by other communities with a greater need. For many, the opportunity to amass a vast array of gear with few strings attached has proven to be too tempting to pass up. Morven Police Chief Linwood Yates, for example, has acquired a decontamination machine originally worth $200,000 for his community of about 700 residents and two additional full-time officers. The high-tech gadget is missing most of its parts and would need $100,000 worth of repairs. He also received a shipment of bayonets, which have never made it out of storage, in his 1.7 square mile city. says that was one of those things in the old days that you got because you thought it was cool, Yates said. It says, then after you get it, you're like, what am I going to do with it? It says, Morvan isn't the only example of a giveaway program gone well. Before his firing earlier this year, for an unwanted matter, the police chief in Rising Star, Texas, the only full-time officer in the town of 835 residents, acquired more than $3.2 million worth of property within 14 months. According to an inventory obtained from the AP, the hundreds of items included nine televisions, 11 computers, three deep fat fryers, two meat slicers, 22 large space heaters valued at $55,000 when new, and a pool table, 25 sleeping bags, and, a, and playground equipment. Federal officials suspended Rising Star from the program in March after investigations discovered that many items, including 12 pairs of binoculars, were missing from the police department facilities. Well, what's going to be missing from them all? I guarantee you. It's as if he was getting any kind of equipment he wanted, Rising Star said the attorney, Pat Chesser said. It's his, um Known for its speed trap and annual peach festival, Morvan also is one of the most uh, prolific users of the Defense Department program, getting more than $4 million worth of goods over the past decade. The spawns have included 20 blankets, 10 two-man combat tents, a hammock, four demagnetizers, two leg curl machines, a shoulder press, a leg press, two treadmills, 28 red gym shorts, 20 fitted bed sheets, 50 flat bed sheets, and 355 sandbags. Yes, can see there isn't much crime, and acknowledge that his, his officers spend most of their time on traffic enforcement. It's probably one of the last quite small southern towns left in the area. He said, even my worst drug dealer here, if I was broke down on the side of the road, would stop and help. Still, Yates hasn't been afraid to think big. So he plans to get more and more stuff, he says, and get a big SWAT team going and all the rest of it. And he's got all these surplus military rifles, a Humvee and an armoured personnel carrier. So they really are, are, are they're militarizing the police as well. We've known for years. And that's all part of it too, folks, because there's going to be big, big crashes still to come uh, to bring you into the new system where all your spending money will go in taxes and energy costs, food, rent or mortgages and uh, carbon taxes as well. Personal carbon taxes. That's all that come down on your heads yet too. So there's nothing happening uh, that's not happening uh, by itself. It's all. It's not by chance at all. Not by, not by chance at all. Also, I too, I'll put up uh, an article I've read before from other other sites, but and from books as well from the Club of Rome. But um, it says an uh, environmental think tank, the Club of Rome, aspired to a global matrix of manufactured consent. And this is recently unearthed documents from the private collection of former diplomat and Bilderberg regulator George C. McGee have revealed, amongst other things, that the Club of Rome in 1970 wanted to create a global matrix approach, or G-matrix approach, as a means of bringing people into an enviro-eugenicist mindset globally. 
The Club of Rome was an influential think tank advocating, amongst other things, worldwide population reduction and global environmental governance. It's a technique, of course, the whole environmental thing. It's a technique to get you off the land, into the crowded cities, and get you into a post-consumerist society. And also the author of the uncovered manuscript of the 1970s Italian industrialist Aurelio Pitti, who founded the Club of Rome in 1968. Pessi wrote that any acceptance of the the club's conclusions relies heavily on a global matrix approach. He says that these conclusions by the infamous club, which includes advocacy of worldwide population reduction, can only be generally accepted through an an iterative, global and substantive process. Through such a comprehensive process, writes Pesci, mankind can gradually attain a value-based consensus and avoid the prospects of a critical future situation. And so it's to do with manufacturing consent. Now, the mass of people out there, the majority of people, uh, and the reason they do fake polls all the time, most of them want to be in the majority. And people, the more education they get, the more they want to be in the new politically correct majority on any whatever topics put out there. It's not how 180 degrees it was from the previous opinions or whatever. And um, so they're the easiest to go along with it. They just like to be winners. And that's why they put polls and things out there. So they get their consent. Most folk get their consent. Children do too at school to be part of the group. The teachers know that too. They're taught to use that. So everyone's being manipulated into manufacturing consent. To your own detriment, of course. From Hamish from Ontario, Canada is good night. May your God or your gods go with you.